Denver Broncos edge rusher Baron Browning is entering his second full-time season at the position. Why is there pressure on him to perform at even a bigger level this upcoming season? You'll get that and much more on today's brand new episode, Locked on Broncos. You are locked on Broncos, your daily Denver Broncos podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Broncos country? Welcome into a brand new episode of Locked On Broncos, your daily Denver Broncos podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Who are three players on the Broncos defensive side of the ball who have the most pressure on them this upcoming season? That's something we'll dive deep into here today. Thank you so much to everybody in Broncos country for tuning in, making Locked On Broncos your first listen of the day every single day shout out to all the everydayers out there as well subscribe or follow for free on youtube or wherever you get your podcast so you never miss out on a day's worth of broncos news content coverage and more every single day all year long i'm your host as always cody rourke broncos reporter for mile high sports joined alongside by sarah bettinger site expert predominantly orange.com as we continue on as otas will continue this week here for the third straight week ahead of next week's mandatory minicamp who are three players that the Broncos currently have right now on the defensive side of the ball that are facing the most pressure coming up into this season. And we have to kick things off with Baron Browning coming off the edge. Now, it's not like there's pressure on him to perform at a high level. We know what he can do. We've seen the flashes. We've seen the potential, right? We get to that dangerous P word there. But why is there pressure, another P word here, on Baron Browning this upcoming season? I think one of the biggest reasons, Cody, is the fact that really we don't know exactly where that top like pass rush productivity is coming from, from a single individual player this year. Like last year, we could kind of rely on it, at least going into the year, right? We thought, well, Bradley Chubb will be that guy or Draymond Jones will be that guy. This year, of course, there's names out there. You know, there's Randy Gregory, obviously, coming back for his second season in Denver, you have Zach Allen coming in through free agency, but I really kind of feel like it's up in the air as to who's going to lead this Broncos pass rush. Who's going to pace the pass rush, if you will, you know, if we want to get that alliteration going. So who's going to pace the pass rush in Denver? Who's going to be that person who's going to be the the guy who dictates the end of games or, you know, the the guy they call on to be the closer, you know, to for lack of a better term there. That's what I'm really interested to see. And that's what I think the pressure comes on Baron Browning. Look, He's entering year three in Denver, right? He's had two years where we saw the potential as an off-ball linebacker in year one. We saw the potential as a pass rusher in year two and really a couple of dominant performances. Just ask Matt Ryan now, who's in TV, uh, what he thinks of Baron Browning as of last season. I mean, there was a couple of really impressive games. The question now becomes, and I think where the pressure comes from is, can he take that leap forward into being a consistent double-digit sack guy or close to that or somebody who can provide for you 20-plus QB hits per season or maybe 30-plus QB pressures per season. I think those are kind of baseline factors there, figures for somebody like Baron Browning, who you expect with that athleticism, that strength, that physical makeup to be able to bring that type of level of productivity as a pass rusher. Well, and one thing, too, as well, I did a sit-down this offseason with Baron, and it's going to go in Mile High Sports Magazine, the football edition, which usually drops, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think August 1st. So, you know, stay tuned, milehighsports.com. There's a digital copy that'll go out, or if you want to get a physical copy, let me know as well. Uh, but I did a sit-down with him, and, and we talked about really kind of the expectations here going into his third season in the NFL, and really 
for him. He said that last year was still trying to get acclimated to adjusting to being an edge rusher. You know, the demands of what you need to do as an edge rusher are different than when you're playing off-ball linebacker. So he said that he was going through the adjustment period of the transition there. And one thing he said he really wants to do a little bit more of this upcoming season to really sustain is to have his legs underneath him a little bit. And he says as an edge rusher, when you make your first pass rush move, being able to have that conditioning in a sense, to be able to maintain your legs. If you don't have your legs and you go to make your second pass rush move after your first one and it's not there, you're not going to be able to get after the quarterback. So that is something that he pinpointed in his game. like In honest evaluation, he said he needs to do better of this upcoming season. Tell you what, I mean, you look at the timing that he has. Like That's one thing that he does. And I know Broncos fans got a little frustrated at times last year because he would get a, you know an encroachment or an offsides. But, I mean, he's trying to time the snap perfectly at times. It's an art. And, look, Von Miller's done really good at that. And even you know Von Miller himself calls him – I think he called him Brandon Browning one time in an interview with, with <laughs> Mike Kliss there. But even Von Miller has talked about Barron's first step. And it is quick. I mean, if you took away his number on his jersey, there's film clips, film sessions I did last year where you look at Baron, you're like, oh, that's Von Miller. The, the way that he moves, body type, sack dances. I mean, he even said in the interview, he said, you know, one guy that inspires him with sack dances is Von himself. So for Baron, look, yeah, yeah, it's your second year going into it where now you know, like, hey, I'm playing edge rusher. There's no questions about whether I'm going to play off ball or I'm going to play off the edge. I'm a full time edge guy. And with that said, he is given the keys to the kingdom here for the Broncos. And I would also say there's maybe some inherent pressure on him as well because, yeah, the Broncos, look, after last year, they they traded away Von – I mean, they traded away Von Miller prior to that. Last season, during the trade deadline, they traded away Bradley Chubb, right? So you trade away two guys who are first-round edge rushers, stable parts of your team, and now Randy Gregor, who we've talked about here on the show, you hope that he can stay healthy this season. And now Baron Browning, like, I, I think the expectations – we talk about Broncos quarterbacks – Broncos edge rushers also have some very, very high expectations on them this season as well. And that's why I think there is pressure on Barron and Randy Gregory. So let's look at Barron then from last season, his first year really doing that, really being called upon as an edge rusher, right? 12 quarterback hits, five total sacks, Cody, eight tackles for loss, and then a really solid 18 quarterback pressures. And you look at that, those numbers and they don't really jump off the page, but it should jump a little more off the page when you consider the fact he only played 571 snaps in 14 games last season. That's 60% on the dot of the defensive snaps that were available to him. So talking about a guy who I guess in that percentage range of defensive snaps, you would definitely consider Baron Browning to be a part-time player on the defense. I would say 70% and above is probably a full-time, but now as a full-time starter, full-time, he's going to be called upon. Like you said, I mean, he has the keys to the kingdom there potentially that those numbers are going to jump in my opinion. I think that we're going to see this breakout and that's that, that's that pressure as well. It's like a lot of Broncos fans wanted the team to go after edge guys again in the draft or free agency. They didn't do that. They stuck with who they had. The pressure is heaped upon Baron Browning in that regard. And now people are going to be saying, okay, we want to see that big breakout season more and more pressure. So you see why he's being added to this list of defensive players with the most pressure upon them, because of course, you know, the Broncos don't have anyone else at this point in time, other than a couple of young guys to rotate in. He has to be that dude off the edge. Like we talk about the comparisons to Von Miller. What was Von Miller so great at in his time with the Broncos? And that guy closed out games. He he was the 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 guy at the end of game that you're like, okay, 
I I feel almost more confident the other team has the ball because I know who's going to go take it away is number 58. He's going to go get the ball. He's going to go smack it out of the quarterback's hands or he's going to do something to create a game-changing play. Now is Baron Browning's time to do exactly that in year three for the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I mean, Denver's going to need more of that regardless. And you know how nice it would be you know, to get to a point? I, I think we are going to see a by-committee approach with the edge rusher position. I think that's just normal in today's NFL for the most part, unless you have a guy that is just truly next level. I mean, there's times even Micah Parsons comes off the field, but it's very, very rare that he does that. And look, even I'd say even a lot of people have made some comparisons to Barron and Micah because of the off-ball, the edge transition. But even Micah himself is making the full-time transition to edge rusher. He's not going to play off ball linebacker anymore for the Dallas Cowboys. So can Baron Brown just continue to grow and elevate, you know, create those pressures, create quarterback hits, sacks, and potentially close games. Hopefully Denver can just be ahead in games where they don't necessarily have to close out and, and hold off on a potential comeback from another team there. But Baron Browning is one player that we've listed that maybe has some pressure on them going into this upcoming season. The next guy that we're going to talk about is a second-year player who looks to make a name for himself on the Broncos' defensive line. Who might that be? You'll get that on today's episode, Lockdown Broncos. This episode of the show was brought to you by our friends over there at FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers get a no-sweat. First bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. A Denver Broncos defensive player, you maybe don't expect to have a lot of pressure on them heading into the 2023 season. Cody, we know the Broncos made a couple big money free agent signings on the defensive line the last two years in 2022, signing DJ Jones from the San Francisco 49ers in 2023, signing Zach Allen from the Arizona Cardinals. But there's an opening as the starting defensive end on the other side of the field from Zach Allen. One player who is a candidate amongst the the rest of the candidates to start there is a guy who kind of surprisingly was on the field. Remember in that first game of last year, rotating in very early with the starting defense, former sixth round pick, 2022 sixth round pick, Matt Henningsen, a former Wisconsin Badger. Cody, I think there is some pressure on Matt Henningsen going into his second NFL season, despite being a sixth round pick, despite not playing a ton as a rookie. What do you say on that? Do you think there's pressure on Matt Henningsen? And if so, why? I think the first thought from anybody listening to this Broncos, they're going to ask the question, why is there pressure on Henningsen? I mean, he's a second-year player. I think that's a big part of it, right? Because the Broncos right now, at least on paper, when you look at it, right, they, they go and they get Zach Allen, who's a great addition, looks fantastic at OTAs. The question is, who's going to start opposite of him at defensive end? Is it going to be Matt Henningsen? Is it going to be Inyoma Owazarike? Is it going to be Jonathan Harris, Elijah Garcia? I mean, there are a multitude of guys right now competing for that job. But for Matt Henningsen, I would say maybe there's pressure on him. to it, Going back to the point you exactly alluded to, last year he played in a role-player role, and despite being drafted a little bit later than Inyoma Owazarike, probably played a little bit of a bigger role for the Broncos last season than Inyoma did. And that's not a slide against Inyoma in any way, shape, or form. Development for players is very different, you know, because what Marcus Dixon maybe is having Matt Henningsen do, maybe it's different in terms of we hear the, the word from Sean Payton vision, right? Maybe the vision for Inyoma is maybe more so as a defensive tackle versus just a defensive end. I think that's something to consider here 
for the Broncos. But for Henningsen, it's yes. Last year, we saw him step up, and look, he's a strong guy. I, I think that's one thing that stood out to me, his ability to anchor, whether playing the five technique, which is the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle. He could play the four eye, which is the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle. He could play the three if he really wanted to, which is one of the, the outside shoulder of the offensive guard. Ultimately, the one thing that Henningsen has to do this year is if he does get the opportunity to start, he has to maximize that, not just in pressures, not just in, you know, he had a sack on Justin Herbert last year. That was awesome. But for him, it's plugging against the run, making sure that you don't get double teamed and hedged out to where a big gap, you know, gets created. Not saying that happened to him, but usually those are the challenges associated with playing defensive end. How does Vance Joseph coming in as a defensive coordinator, how does him learning a new defensive scheme, new terminology, maybe impact the optics of that? These are all things I'm looking at that maybe create a little bit of pressure on Matt Hennings in this upcoming season. I think those are great points to be made, Cody. And in addition to that, like you mentioned, he didn't play a ton as a rookie, although he did rotate in quite a bit. 20% of the snaps played last season by Matt Henningsen, who was one of the rare Broncos to appear in all 17 regular season games. So we know that he was a valued member of the roster. We know obviously he wasn't in a healthy scratch at any point. He was always active for game days. But like you said, just the those things that we saw him do, the flashes, it's not necessarily what we expected of him as a rookie, right? We didn't expect him to go out there and get five or six sacks. We didn't expect him to have a QB hit every single game or anything like that. Now you enter year two, and what do you need to do more than anything else? You you hit on the nail on the head, Cody. Got to be able to stop the run and make sure that, hey, we can't be having these get-right games for Josh Jacobs against the Raiders, especially we play the Raiders week one, right? So you can't be having any of those types of errors, and you need to be able to go out there and consistently play at a high level. You got your 20% out of the way last year where you played as a rookie. Now, what can you do with 60, 65, maybe 70% of the snaps? Can you even force yourself onto the field for that amount of time? That's where the pressure really comes in for Matt Henningsen. And I think also, Cody, I'm looking forward to just seeing his progression because we heard the stories coming out of the draft about Matt Henningsen as a, a walk-on guy, right? And earning the scholarship, even at, you know, he was starting games before he was even on scholarship, right? Or so, some crazy stories from Wisconsin and just the awesome work ethic this guy has. Mm -hmm. It's a testament to, I think, the type of player that he is. He's just, he's tough. He's disciplined. He probably is in the film room all the time. He's one of those guys who understands like, okay, I may not be getting every sack, but I also have an opportunity to impact the play regardless. And so kind of like what did Derek Wolf wants to talk about that, all those, or Von Miller crediting Derek Wolf. You mentioned that in a recent episode, like, you know, Derek Wolf doesn't get the credit for these sacks that I'm getting, but he's the one up there occupying these blockers. And he's the one that's kind of, you know, setting things up for me to make these plays off the edge. Matt Henningsen can be that guy. He can make somebody like Baron Browning way better by occupying blockers, by making life tough for the offensive line. So I'm excited to see him do that. And I'm excited to see what he can do in Vance Joseph's defense. I mean, dating back to when Vance was our head coach, Cody, I mean, we saw the emergence of Shelby Harris, who was kind of an unheralded guy in Arizona. I know it's a different position, but you saw players like Dennis Gardeck come out of nowhere and have like, you know, 10, 12 sacks, whatever he had. I mean, there's unheralded guys can excel in this defense. And like you mentioned, Marcus Dixon, he's got he's got the canvas to work with here. And I think he's got a good player in Matt Henningsen to develop. Uh, you go back to the work ethic that you mentioned. That's something that is raved about with Henningsen inside the Broncos locker room. Watching him last year, I mean, you could tell this guy's working his tail off. 
And he's the guy that doesn't, he doesn't talk much. Like you have to go up to him, talk to him in order to, to get any words from him, you know, which is a good thing. This is a guy who kind of keeps to himself as a tight knit group of guys on the defensive line room that he, you know, hangs out with, you know, away from the football field. But aside from that, this is a guy who just pumps iron in the offseason. Hey, you know what? I'm excited to see maybe how the new strength and conditioning philosophy benefits a guy like Matt Hankson, who is already strong coming into things. How does this make him even stronger? You mentioned the continuity with Marcus Dixon coming back. I can't preach enough how big that is because for a player like Henningsen, I think that there would be a lot more pressure on him if, in fact, there was a new defensive line coach there because you have a guy who's not familiar with him. You have a guy who maybe sees, sees things in a different lens that may or may not be the best optics for a player like Henningsen. So a lot of great opportunity. He, as you mentioned earlier in the show, he is one of the players who is in line to potentially start opposite of Zach Allen. There's competition ongoing between him, Inyoma Uwazurike, Elijah Garcia, uh, even throwing in Jonathan Harris as another name there, as some names to watch, P.J. Mustafer as another name as well, Broncos country. So Matt Henningsen has a little bit of pressure on him coming into this upcoming season. How will he respond to the test? That's a great question. We look forward to seeing that pan out and maybe get answered this season when the Denver Broncos take the field in 2023 but we're going to continue this conversation on today's episode lockdown broncos there's another player on the defensive side of the ball who has been playing at a really really high level but with some other external factors in terms of additions to the position room and also contract situation why does this player have the most pressure on him coming into 2023 you'll get that on today's episode lockdown broncos Check out the Locked On Nuggets podcast hosted by Adam Adez and Matt Moore. The series in the NBA Finals between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat is tied one-to-one. What might the Nuggets do to adjust going into Game 3 after losing Game 2 at home? Adam Adez, Matt Moore, they have you covered with all the pick-and-roll action on Locked On Nuggets, wherever you get your podcasts, or on YouTube. One player on the Broncos' defensive side of the ball is entering the final year of his deal while still maintaining a high level of play. Why does this add pressure for him to perform in 2023? Thank you so much, Broncos country, for tuning in, making Lockdown Broncos your first listen of the day every single day. Shout out to all the everydayers out there as well. If you've not yet subscribed or followed, please do that on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast so you never miss out on a day's worth of Broncos news content coverage every single day all year long. Sarah, let's talk about Josie Jewell here, right? When we talk about Broncos, maybe with the most pressure on them in 2023, I think when we throw out the name Josie Jewell, the first thought for some people is like, why is there pressure on him? But I think if you look at the circumstances really outside of just Josie, right? Josie's been playing at a very, very high level. I mean, heck, last year was probably a career year for Josie in terms of sacks, interceptions, tackles. He and Alex Singleton were leading the team exclusively in that department there. And it wasn't even close to think Kareem Jackson was the next closest guy on that list. But for him, there's some pressure on him because of the Broncos additions. This obviously look, they re-signed Alex Singleton, which was great. We, we were banging the table for that, but it was the drafting of Drew Sanders that really kind of put things into question ultimately for, okay, what are the, what are the Broncos long-term plans here at linebacker? And is Josie part of that? Because this is the final year of his deal. And as I want to echo and say, Josie has been playing at a very, very high level. So why is there pressure? What does this even mean here for the Broncos and maybe their approach going into this upcoming season? Well, other than living up to the great Iowa Hawkeye name that he bears, Cody, as a former Iowa player and star at Iowa, I think Josie really, it starts with exactly what you said. You got to fend off some hungry young players that want to get on the field, right? Drew Sanders, 
Jonas Griffith, of course, being the two probably primary guys that could maybe actually steal some snaps. I mean, this this coming season. And I think that's it, it speaks to this idea of what, you know, Sean Payton talked about at the NFL draft about having visions for players, not just in terms of what they can do on the field right away, but like what is the plan for this player year one, year two, year three, et cetera. And I think Drew Sanders is one of those guys that maybe you don't envision him as a rookie day one starter, but you kind of keep that option in the back of your mind there to say, hey, Drew Sanders comes out and he has a great OTAs. We already know he had a great rookie mini camp. He comes out there, he has a great OTAs, great training camp, great preseason. Then maybe you start to scratch your chin and wonder to yourself, why not? Why not throw him out there on the field, right? Let's see what he can do. I mean, we can't keep his athleticism off the field. If somebody like that, or Jonas Griffith for that matter, does so well in training camp and preseason that you can't keep them off the field, that then puts the pressure back on Josie Jewell, right? To be able to say, hey, you better be playing at a high level every single snap, or one of these guys is going to come out there and get a shot. Remember, Josie was Wally pipped by Alexander Johnson back in that 2019 season. It was kind of feeling like Josie is the guy. He's the you know, the smart, instinctive. At that time, he was a second-year player. He gets injured after struggling his first couple games. He gets injured. Alexander Johnson comes in there, and he, I mean, he brings that athleticism. He brought that intensity. He's flying towards the line of scrimmage. He's making plays and coverage all those different sorts of things. Could you see something like that happening here in 2023 where Josie, I mean, not to say he's going to get off to a rough start or anything, but if he struggles a little bit or if there's an injury or anything like that, the pressure's on him to be playing at an elite level to keep these other guys off the field. Yeah, it's a great question to kind of throw out there. And, you know, Josie dealt with some injuries last year, unfortunately. He had, a, you know, the I think he had a knee coming into the season that held him out of action or it was an ankle. And then he had the knee sprain as well after the Colts game on Thursday night football. But ultimately, you know, I think for Josie, this is the final year of his contract. I also think that maybe the coaching staff, maybe Sean Payton views it like, hey, Josie could still be part of this team, right? But also maybe he could be monumental and maybe leadership, mentorship on Drew Sanders as well. And we've seen it as well. Like linebacker is one of the most physically demanding positions. It involves the most contact for the most part, that running back and obviously the trenches. There's so much contact associated and involved with that position that guys are going to get banged up. Guys are going to be dealing with some bumps and bruises here and there. But you also have enough, I think, to maybe kind of use a you know different personnel package. How can you maximize what Josie does well in certain situations? How can you maybe maximize maybe what Drew Sanders does really well that he's demonstrated in training camp, that he's demonstrated in preseason? How can you get that involved in the regular season? Having a guy like Josie is great in terms of the locker room, just being a leader there. He's one of the best guys inside that locker room. So for me, I, I don't think that Denver necessarily looks at like, okay, hey, Let's figure out a way to replace Josie, but more so you look at the writing on the wall, final year of his contract, you add Drew Sanders. Okay, pressure's on for Josie. Like Josie, if he continues to maintain his high-level play, I mean, Sarah would be wild not to extend him, right? You want to keep your best players on the team, and you also want to develop the young guys as well. Drew Sanders has some time. He doesn't have to be the guy right away, right? He's got some athletic traits that you mentioned that are exciting. You can still feature that. You can see a lot of that, not only just on special teams, but maybe in defensive packages, it doesn't have to be his year right yet. Maybe even not even next year. Maybe two years from now is the year. But then again, sir, this is the NFL. It's all about getting your best players on the football field. I do believe Josie's one of Denver's better linebackers. But on top of that, Drew Sanders also is going to make a name for himself. Jonas Griffith has a lot of talent that we've talked about. 
Alex Singleton, he's the locked-in starter for the next three years regardless. So really, that puts all the pressure in terms of the optics on Josie Jewell to maintain his level of play that he's been playing at so far throughout the last couple of years. And it's going to be a very, very interesting training camp. It's going to be very interesting to see how things go in the preseason. And Sarah, I think maybe another question I have really pertaining to all these guys that we've talked about, whether it be offense, whether it be defense, the NFL in terms of the preseason, we know Denver's first two games are going to be on the road against the Cardinals, against the 49ers, and then a final home game against the Rams to, to conclude the preseason. But roster cuts, you don't have to make a roster cut from 90 to 53 until after that third and final preseason game. So how does Sean Payton maybe balance playing your starters versus playing these guys and getting them valuable reps to evaluate them in live game action against somebody that's not their own teammate. To me, that's also very intriguing to follow. It is. And that's a huge offseason storyline, I think, for everybody, because you, you're going to be able to get these opportunities. You don't have to make a quick judgment decision after one preseason game and say, OK, now we want to get more looks at this guy instead of this guy, you can actually see, can this guy bounce back after, a, you know, we believed in him all throughout the offseason, things like that. So I think all of that discussion, the 90-man roster not needing to be cut down, talking about the context of Josie Jewell at the linebacker position as well, it can all go back to something Sean Payton just recently said this past week at his press availability when he's talking about the fact that, I mean, you are, you're auditioning, Every single week, every snap that you get on tape, you're auditioning for 31 other teams. You're not just showing, hey, am I the best player on the Broncos depth chart? You're auditioning to say, could I be the best player on Carolina's depth chart or Miami's depth chart? Just speaking to two defensive coordinators there in Ezero Evero and Vic Fangio, who really like Josie Jewell, by the way. I'm just saying, you are you one of the best linebackers on their depth chart? And, and teams are looking through that lens, right? Teams are looking all the time saying, Hey, uh, this guy's high on our board if he becomes available in a trade or he's he's high on our board if he gets cut or if he becomes a cut candidate. Like we would rather give up a sixth or seventh round pick than let this guy hit waivers. Or, you know, things like that are going through teams' minds at this time of year. You better believe that for a guy like Josie Jewell, that's the case. A lot of teams would like to have him. And I think he understands that. So I think he has that security no matter what. The question is, is what is the what is the Broncos feeling on him? Are they trying to really push him? The Drew Sanders pick was a bit of a surprise to me, Cody. But I think if you're planning in terms of the future, makes plenty of sense. If you're talking about what do we want to do? We want to put some pressure on Josie this year. I think that's where things get really interesting. That's going to be very, very intriguing to see how things play out this offseason. There's certainly not a lack of storylines or things to look forward to here, Broncos country. We'll have you covered every step of the way all throughout the year. Look, we got you covered through OTAs, mandatory minicamp. Even during the time where the Broncos, they're going to be off for about a month, almost maybe five, six weeks in general before the start of training camp. We'll have you covered with training camp position previews, training camp battles, storylines, and much more for every single position on this team. You can expect that if you're an everyday listener, Lockdown Broncos. The coming weeks here of the show. But with that said, Broncos country, that'll wrap up today's episode of the show. We appreciate you so much taking time out of your day to listen or to watch us break down all things Denver Broncos related. Sarah and myself will be back tomorrow as we set the table here for OTAs continuing this week ahead of mandatory minicamp. What are some things we're looking forward to seeing? You'll get that much more on tomorrow's brand new episode, Locked on Broncos.